Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Steve Fowler, lead pastor, as he begins. So I'm Anna Mosquera. I'm 20 years old. I go to Western Army University. I'm a double major biology and chemistry, hoping to become a surgeon and later on a missionary. My name is Chad Hedberg. And I'm Cassie Hedberg. Um, I'm Paige. Um, I go to Salem Heights Elementary School. I will be going to Howard Street Charter School next year. I am 10 years old right now. It was a little bit tense at first. I was a little bit scared, but it came, it started coming naturally because I was her best friend and we had talked about some of these things before. You just need to let it come bit by bit. I, I guess it was just easy for me because God helped me through it. For me, what really helped me was that I never pushed anything. I never, you know, I never said, this is what you have to do. I kind of let it just happen. And the thing I love about our conversations is that they never have to end with a conclusion of, okay, what's your decision for today, you know? And, okay, I'm gonna invite you to church, you know? It's just, uh, it's just a conversation about God. It's just a conversation that gets her thinking and gets me thinking. She actually challenges me quite a bit in my faith. Overcome. needed to, to be willing to meet those people where they are at and when I kind of went to where they were at and went to, to their turf where they were comfortable I was amazed at, uh, at the conversations that we had as a part of that and, and I think I was equally amazed that I was welcomed there as a, as a church person. Uh, you know having this conversation with Louise definitely made me feel like Everything in life does happen for a reason, and every little thing is meant to happen. But it changes the way I look at things sometimes, how I could change this, how I could tell someone about this. How could I ask questions to get God into the conversation? I think about those things more often now. And time after time, story after story, this one friend of mine has prayed with so many people, and for so long I thought, how does she do that? And and kind of feeling jealous of, you know, I'm jealous of your spiritual gift, but but really God has given me a different gift. I think, you know, that, that passage of scripture where it talks about some people plant the seed and some sow it, and you know, I think we all say, well, you know, well that's, that's a really nice story as long as I get to be the one that reaps, <laughs> you know? And we, we just, I think a lot of us automatically think, uh, I hope I'm not a sower. I want to be the reaper because that's that's where the glory is. And doggone it, we're just sowers. A lot of us, we just go on like our lives and thinking that we're going to church, we're talking to our church friends, and that's enough. You know, and people say, well, I don't have friends who aren't Christian, maybe you should. 
people usually think that other people wouldn't believe just because it may sound like it's something fantasy and God will change that, but people don't really seem to realize that. But they're holding back because they don't, I don't think they trust themselves to say the right thing. I think I would say to people if they were wanting to know how to be involved in a spiritual conversation, to uh, maybe quit trying so hard and to let their own anxieties go and, and quit making it about themselves because um, really it's not about us. It's just anyone can talk to anyone. A little kid can talk to anyone. You know, you just have to want to talk to someone. I think it's just not right to leave the whole world not knowing about it. And I just think that if my friends don't know, I need to at least give them the chance to believe and go to heaven. I love hearing those stories and uh, just in different angles on how to have a sacred conversation, whether you're, you're 10 or older than that. Uh, I, I love little Paige uh, and her just her deliberate way of having a sacred conversation. I'm impressed. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. And we're wrapping up our series, Sacred Conversations, this weekend. Uh, we, we began just talking about this invitation that Jesus made to his first disciples. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, and, 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 and being someone who enters into a sacred conversation begins by being a follower, by following after Jesus and letting his life uh, uh, shine and radiate out of, out of your own heart. And we talked about in week two of that, of being salt and light. Last week we talked about how God purposely positions us. He puts us in the neighborhoods we live in, in the workplaces that we work in, uh, that the restaurants we go to, that God just sort of arranges these, these divine collisions, so to speak, where we get to have a, a, a conversation with somebody that could, that could totally transform their, their life by the power of Jesus. And uh, we're wrapping up our series uh, talking about the power of story, that we all have a story to tell, the story, our story of when we encountered Christ. And we're gonna be doing that from Acts chapter 26 because Acts 26 is such a great illustration of how to tell your story. In fact, I've told you this story before, but I think it, it perfectly illustrates just how meaningful and how significant and powerful your story is. Uh, Stephanie Qualick is a, an inventor. She uh, invented a material that's used worldwide. It's called uh, Kevlar. It's uh, the stuff that is, it, it's used in bulletproof vests. It's not just used in bulletproof vests. It's used in, in uh, skis, water skis, parachutes, your car's brakes. It's also used on the tiles in the space shuttle. It's very tough stuff. Scientists have tested it, and it's five times stronger than steel. And every year, thousands of lives of police officers and soldiers are saved by a bulletproof vest. Now, it's expensive material. Uh, it's owned by DuPont. Uh, there was a small country in Europe that, uh, that wanted to purchase bulletproof vests for their police officers. Uh, but they didn't have a lot of resources, so it was going to take a lot of arm twisting, a lot of persuading of the local officials to, officials to invest in these uh, bulletproof vests. But these, uh, this police department gathered the leaders of this village and had them in a town hall, and they were going to spend some time just showing how incredible uh, a bulletproof vest is and how, how powerful Kevlar is. 
And uh, so these police officers put on a display. They're firing shots at a bulletproof vest. And everything sort of built up to this one moment. And the one moment was this. When the one police officer would actually put the police vest on himself, he would wear it and his friend would fire a shot. Now, that, that's got to be a trusted friend, right? Uh, that to, but he's got a helmet on, a Kevlar helmet. He's got the, the, the bulletproof vest on. Uh, his buddy takes his police revolver, and everyone's watching, and everyone can't believe this is happening, and the shot is fired, and the bullet is traveling hundreds of miles per hour, hits the bulletproof vest, knocks the friend down, but he pops back up, and he opens his shirt and shows how the bulletproof vest stopped this, this, uh, this bullet. And everyone is clapping and cheering, and they're like, amazing. And, and the guy is sort of amped up, the guy who shot the shot. He's sort of amped up, and uh, in sort of an unrehearsed moment, sticks his, his hand to his belt, pulls off a knife, a kind of a pocket life knife, and he walks over and, and, and shows how it stops a knife. And this is where you have to say, not knife-proof vest, but bulletproof vest. Because little did he know that Kevlar is this intermingling of a spider web of, of fibers that can stop a broad bullet, but a knife went right through the bulletproof vest and, and pierced the skin of his friend. Now, it didn't go very deep. A short little trip to the hospital. They, they sewed him back up, some stitches. Uh, but uh, the village did not invest in bulletproof vests. Uh, that one didn't go so well. But I, I find it amazing that something that can stop bullets or shrapnel uh, or can, can keep a, a space shuttle from overheating can be penetrated by such a small little thing like a pocket knife. Now here's why I tell that story again. Your story is like that pocket knife. You see, we all have friends, we have family who are, are quite resistant to, to conversations about faith. To, to conversations about God or, or even Jesus. I mean, you know the situations. You can rehearse them in your head. You're having a conversation and you bring up God. It's like, don't even think about it. Or maybe you have a friend, like I, I've shared a story of my friend who said to me, I, don't, don't even think about bringing up ever. Or maybe you have a, a friend you've, or a family member you talked about Jesus and they, it's just like they scoff and they, they don't even want to go down that path. I want to suggest to you, that a simple thing, like your simple story of how you were introduced to Jesus Christ, that moment when you gave your life to Christ, that simple story has a way of getting past all the defenses, all the guardedness that people might put up and make its way in and be used by God to pierce the heart so that someone might come alive in Christ. You have a story that's worth telling. Whether you believe it or not, your story, your story can cause a heart to come alive. I want to show you this from Acts chapter 26, so grab your Bibles and turn there, because we're going to be looking at the story that is ours, and we're going to celebrate communion a little bit later, and we're going to talk about how our story is linked to the story of the Lamb of God. And when you put those two stories together, you have something that is way more powerful than you would ever imagine. And we'll see that as well. Acts chapter 26 is a story of, of Paul, Paul who has been in prison now for two years. He's been in prison for telling his story. He's been in prison for, for talking about Jesus. And people are, are wanting him to be silenced, and so he's in jail. Jewish leaders have, have put him in prison. Uh, Rome has, has put him in prison. And he's been in prison for two years, and he's brought into an auditorium one day to tell his story. 
And he's going to tell his story to two people who I want to suggest to you are two people that have their defenses up. These are people historically that would be people who would resist moves of God or who, who would resist ideas of faith in Jesus Christ. Here's why I would say that. Uh, these two folks in Acts chapter 26 are Agrippa and Bernice. Agrippa is the grandson of a guy named Herod. You, you read about Herod in Matthew chapter 2. Herod is the king who, you know, when the wise men came and visited him, who, who said to the wise men, come back and, and tell me where this, this king, is, king of the Jews is so I can go and worship him. And, of course, that's all a ruse. And the wise men are tipped off. They don't return. And Herod, Herod then dispatches warriors to Bethlehem and butchers uh, all the baby boys, two years and younger, in Bethlehem because he wants this Messiah, this king, killed. The Agrippa that we're going to be reading about today, that's, that's his grandfather. His great uncle is the one who beheads John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 14. His own father is the one who executes James, the, the brother of John, the, the, the disciple James. Uh, he's also the, his father was the one who imprisoned Peter. This is the Agrippa that we're going to be reading about in Acts chapter 26. And he's married to a woman named Bernice. Bernice is also someone who has her defenses up. At one point in time, she was married to her uncle. And she started to get a reputation for being a, a pretty depraved individual. Uh, she left her uncle, divorced him, and then uh, began living with her brother, who was one year older than her, who happens to be Agrippa in this story. So here you have a sister and brother who are, are married, and then she's going to leave that relationship, and she's going to become a mistress to a Roman emperor named Titus. And you can read about this in your history books, but this Bernice ends up being a mistress to Titus, a Roman emperor, and her behavior is so decadent in Rome that there will be a public outcry. The citizens of Rome will riot, and they, it will lead uh, the Roman emperor Titus to tell Bernice to leave Rome, the Roman Empire, altogether. She's actually kicked out of Rome. Okay, you, you know, you have to be living pretty poorly when Rome kicks you out, all right? Well, that, that's the Bernice of Acts chapter 26. And at this point in time, she's living with her brother, Agrippa. And they've been making a trip, and they come to a, a town called Caesarea, and they, they meet a ruler named Festus, and uh, he talks about this man named Paul, and Agrippa and Bernice want to hear the story of Paul. So Paul's going to tell his story. He's going to tell it in a very organized way. He's going to tell in a way that you and I could tell our stories. The details are different, but he's going to tell his story in, in, in three chunks or three chapters. The first one is simply this. This is my life before I met Christ. This is who I was. This is a story, chapter two, this is the story of how I met Christ. This is my conversion experience. This is how it all happened. And then he moves to chapter three of his story and says, now this is how my life is changed. And as we're gonna see in Acts chapter 26, in fact, if you were just to fast forward to the end of the story, what you're gonna find out in, in chapter 26, verse 26, that when the story's all said and done, Agrippa is gonna be, gonna be responding to Paul and said, Paul, do you, do you think you can make me a Christian or persuade me to be a Christian so quickly? In, in the English language, that looks like you know, sort of a, a scoffing remark. It's not that at all. In the original language, what, what, the, what it intimates is here's a guy who's almost Christian. 
He's teetering on the edge. He's feeling the persuasion of a simple story. It's gotten past all the defenses, all those, those things that have been put up. It's found its way in the story like a, like a little pocket knife, making its way past all the defenses and piercing the heart. So Paul's going to tell his story, and let's look at that in Acts chapter 26. Imagine a courtroom, imagine an auditorium, you have Roman officials there, they've been gathered, Agrippa and Bernice is there, Festus is there, the the governor, the ruler of the area, and the story begins. Verse 1, then Agrippa said to Paul, Acts chapter 26, then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with, the, with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now Paul is going to get start getting specific about what his life was like. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. This is chapter one of Paul's story. Paul is obsessed. He grew up studying the law. He's a Pharisee. He's part of the strictest gathering or group of Pharisees. And this guy is opposing anyone that's pursuing Christ. He's literally on a manhunt or a woman hunt after any single person that's a Christ follower. Paul's life before he encountered Christ was one where, imagine midnight raids where he'd break into homes, he'd take families, he'd take believers, and he'd haul them off to prison. In fact, he would cast his vote so that some of these folks would be executed. He had a hand in Christ followers being put to death for their faith. He would even haul them into synagogues and he would beat them and and try and force them to curse God or to blaspheme. This guy was a brutal man. He was feared by the church. He was obsessed. He was obsessed with stopping this move of God. He was obsessed with coming up against the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is who Paul is before he encountered Christ. Now, you may not have been a a persecutor of Christians. Your your story may not have all the drama of that, but, but you know who you were before you met Christ. You, you know the things that you struggle with. You, you know the, the addictions. You, you know the lies or the anger. For me, it was one of the things I struggled with was fear and doubt. I would have a hard time as a middle schooler. I would struggle falling to sleep at night because I had all these raging doubts in my mind if I measured up to God. Would I be accepted by God? 
It, it literally was two or three years of turmoil for me. I was someone who was just full of fear. And I think my parents would have hoped some of that fear would have stayed. Uh, because I, seriously, part of my story was, was leaving all fear behind. And, and that's part of who I am. You have your story. You, got, you, you know who you were before you met Christ. Paul is simply saying, chapter one of my story, Agrippa and Bernice, is simply this. I opposed Jesus of Nazareth. I killed people. I put him in prison. And then he begins telling chapter two of his story. You'll see it in verse 12. He just talks about going to foreign cities to persecute Christians. In verse 12, he, he says, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's chapter two. It's an amazing story because here's a guy who, who killed Christians and then he's on this road to Damascus to hunt down some more and then he has this, this vision. He sees Jesus and Jesus confronts him and Jesus appoints him. He appoints him to be a church planter, to go tell people about Jesus. And Paul is just simply telling his conversion story. Do you remember the day that you gave your life to Christ? You remember the, the moment where, uh, maybe it wasn't a vision, but maybe it, was, maybe it was a church service, or maybe it was your parents, or maybe it was an event you went to, or a book you're reading, or maybe a quiet moment in your home. You, we, as Christ followers, we, we can remember that either that season or that moment where we decided that we were going to follow Jesus. It's part of our story. It's that moment when this is how we were, and we were confronted with that, and we realized who Jesus is, and we began a new story with him. In fact, Paul, what he's going to do in the third part of his story is he's just going to lay out that he was obedient to the vision, that he went to Damascus. In fact, he preached in Damascus. Do you get this? I mean, he was on a journey to kill Christians in Damascus. And, uh, and when he gets there, he's not hunting down Christians. He's trying to make Christians. That's a transforming story. And he talks about preaching the Gentiles. He talks about, about lifting up Christ. And, um, and the story continues. And Festus interrupts and says, you know, Paul, you've gone nuts. You've been looking at books and studying too long. And, and then Paul keeps his eyes on Agrippa and poses a question to him. Says to him, you believe in the prophets. What do you think, Agrippa? And there you have that moment where a simple story who I was before Christ, how I met Christ, how my life has changed. It's a simple little thing that finds its way past all the defenses and it's touching the heart and Agrippa is teetering, teetering. Paul, do you think you could persuade me and cause me to become a Christian? 
Agrippa has been captured by a story. And you have a story. As we talk about sacred conversations, sometimes we, we think that, you know, we can't really have a sacred conversation because I need to know more. I, I, need, to, I need to know how to lay it all out and I, I need to be smarter. I need to have all the, the, the answers to the tough questions and, uh, and those are all good things. But your story, your story is way more powerful than answers to tough questions because your story is a living witness to a transformed life in Christ. And no one can argue with your story. And here's a surprising thing about your story. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. This is where the story that is yours in Christ combined with the story of the Lamb of God is the one-two punch to the enemy that he just can't take. Revelation chapter 12, the apostle John is writing, verse 11, as he's talking about this great host of heaven, this great host of believers who are now in heaven. He says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I find that verse astonishing. See, it makes total sense to me that they would overcome the evil one by, by the blood of the lamb, the story of, of a God who sends his son to die on Calvary to pay our sin penalty. He would go to the cross. That part makes all kinds of sense to me. But they overcame him by the word of their testimony. You've got to picture this, that every time the cross is lifted high, every time the story of the lamb of God is lifted high, and every time one of us opens our mouths and tells the story, the enemy takes a body blow. That's why he doesn't want you talking. That's why he doesn't want you opening your mouth because that's how, that's how he's defeated by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. He is overcome. He's defeated. And he wants other people to, to, to live defeated lives. But the, but the truth of the matter is that we're overcomers in Christ. We have a story because of that story. Our story is tied up in the story of the Lamb. And every single time we tell the story of the Lamb of God and we open up our mouths and tell our story, the enemy cringes. <laughs> he can't take it because all the defenses that are up are penetrated by a simple little story that weaves its way in. This group that's gathered in heaven, death wouldn't even keep them from telling their story. You have a story. We have a story. And we need to tell it. The story of a lamb. The story of the day that you gave your life to Christ. This is who I was before I met Christ. This, this is my experience with him. This is how I found him, and this is how my life has changed. You've been listening to Steve Fowler, lead pastor at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m., and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 
581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.